0: When you become a member, enter Suburban Folk in the podcast that you heard about them. If you need help with editing, music production, or anything else related to your podcast, reach out to me at greg at to discuss how I can help you get your voice heard health, travel, finance, parenting, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. $250 a month into my child's 529, from the month that they start kindergarten, I should be
1: able to pay for 80% of my child's college.
0: Because I don't trust that most people will eat their vegetables, right. so usually our kind of standard is three servings of vegetables per meal.
1: You take something, like a, a 2 by 6 and you cut it with a circular saw. That's
0: like a superpower. Those middle school years are not as fun, but... At that age, they're still willing to talk to you. Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm your host, Greg. Today's topic is around entrepreneurship. In the times that we find ourselves in, you may have lost your job, feel like your job is at risk, or you're facing other financial hardships. Might be a time to consider what options you have, including starting your own business. My guest is Ethan Janney. He's a transformational coach and co-host of the Run With It Business podcast, which gives you business ideas from top CEO guests who share the actual action steps you can take to get started. As a coach, Ethan's methods draw on his polymathic and non-traditional range of experiences, among them being a PhD neuroscientist who studied burn song and a piano tuning entrepreneur profiled in the Wall Street Journal. Thanks, Ethan, so much for joining the show today. Can you kick us off by giving your background, which is definitely got a lot of different skills (laughs) wrapped up into your journey. How did you get from, let's say, the music world and pianos to also your entrepreneur and coaching business? I've always had... A number of interests. Um, I think it it started to creep up a lot in
1: high school. Yeah, I had to decide between being on the wrestling team and and being uh, in the school play. You know, and that was like a huge, <laughs> huge deal having to pick between them. But so I'm a bit of a polymath and just being into a lot of different topics. Uh, I did settle on music as a course of study um, in college. Um, interestingly enough, after going for a year to study physics, I changed my major and changed schools and moved from the Chicago area to New Jersey to go to school. When I when I was in music school, I, I'm really glad I went. I kind of knew up front that I'm not necessarily going to music school because this is going to get me a, a big, better job or that it's some kind of investment. But I, I've always thought in education as just doing it as an enriching activity and then you know trusting that you'll find ways to make en- ends meet given the skill sets and and the things that you learn along the way, as I was finishing music school and I was gigging playing playing shows and things like that, I said I'm um, making money as a as a piano teacher and and making money as a musician, but something like piano tuning seemed like something that could give me more steady income and maybe um, a little bit more income beyond what I would make so I started to take it up in as school was ending as my college years were ending and that, ever since then, like piano tuning, pianos have been in my life ever since before high school, but it's it's been kind of a theme in my life. And I've, um, like I said, you know, I didn't necessarily pick music to make money in, but I found ways to make money that aligned with music. As I, I built my own business as a piano tuner for a while, that, that did give me a good source of income. Uh, I eventually went to, and this was like a, you know, a hard you know, U turn or whatever, just a, a crazy turn. I ended up going back to school and getting a PhD in neuroscience of all things. And while I was doing that, I came up with this kooky idea to take a couple of friends who were interested in becoming piano tuners and kind of tutor them and train them as part of my business and see if that would allow me to still maintain um, the reputation and some of the you know, some of the investments that I had made in the piano industry while still giving time to my PhD. And that actually worked pretty well. And I I think one of the major things was that I learned, especially looking back from now, was that I was a mentor and a coach to the people that I was training in that business, along with having them be quote-unquote employees or contractors for me. One really bittersweet thing that happened was I, I... as I was finishing my PhD, I worked that business that I had built on the side of piano tuning. Piano tuners, a group of us doing apprenticeship in New York. I worked it to the point where I would I actually moved out of the country. I moved to Peru, and the idea was I would kind of test the test the system if I could run the business from overseas. And uh, at that point, um, a really gut wrenching thing happened. I was about to step on the plane to go to peru and the guy that i had trained for a few years and was going to entrust to being in charge he wrote me an email saying he was he was not going to be with the business anymore (laughs) that was a that was a tough moment and it actually continued to be tough because he rebuilt the business he stole some clients from the business um while i was gone it it was a it was a tough it was just kind of a tough relationship it was one of my first relationships as someone you know being like a quote-unquote employer mentor And, you know, the good thing that came out of it was I realized why, what hurt so much about it for me was I felt like I'd given him even additional value than just training him as someone that, you know, might, I didn't train him to leave. And I realized I was coaching, you know, and then I was actually really good at coaching because he did a good job rebuilding the business. And so, ever since I realized that, I've been taking on coaching professionally And kind of testing that out to say, yeah, you know, is that really what was going on? And and it's proving to be true. I'm doing a really good job helping people really reach higher in their lives and, and do interesting things.
0: Just unpacking a little bit of your story, even figuring out what you could do with music that wasn't maybe what most people would think of performing music, getting paid for that, something related to it that is desirable in the market in this case tuning pianos and hey, there's probably a lot of people out there. That's probably a skill that any potential entrepreneur needs to have, right? Find the niche, find the things that the market is looking for and figure out where it fits in your skill set to what is marketable.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, and you're talking about like, not necessarily any needs the skill of piano tuning, but the skill of like, figuring out how you can take your talents and abilities and match them to something that can make you money. Is that kind of what you're talking about?
0: Exactly. Like for example, it rings true for me that I'm been a guitar player for years. And as I was moving from place to place, job to job, Wasn't the easiest thing to get into a band and rehearse and do all that, especially when kids are in the picture, right? You have these late nights. So I started teaching guitar and using the internet even for expanding my reach and things like that. It's using part of the skill while not maybe the way you originally had in mind, (laughs) look for the way that you can apply it and ultimately monetize it if you can.
1: If anybody's listening to this is looking to, you know, create a side income or... Exactly like you're saying, a secondary stream of income or take turn a hobby into a business. I would say one of the number one factors to to implement is to just start asking people for money for the things that you're doing for them. And you'll find out pretty quickly which things that you can actually do for money or not and so you know you see over over and over again people think they have like a great idea for a business or they have a great idea um, to bring in money and they even invest a lot of money kind of putting that thing together so they can make it look look nice and presentable and they put it out there and they kind of get disappointed because people aren't picking it up and they're not interested there's there's there can be more to it but taking the simple approach of of asking people for money for what you're doing and seeing if they're willing to pay for it can be really powerful. And if they, and if they're not willing, then, you know, you can move on or you need to modify your approach. You need to, you need to do more research on what people need, you know, what kind of needs align with what you
0: can offer. How does that compare to the strategy? I've heard this as well of offer what you think the service is going to be for free and get some people on to show that you can, do whatever that service is. And then once you reach capacity, you purposely then start charging or increasing the amount that you charge for that service to basically offload and and make sure you have enough capacity. And then also you're figuring out what's marketable or not. Is that different than what you're describing? Do you think there's like complementary strategies? The strategy you just
1: mentioned, I think can work and I I see people doing it and I would offer this one piece of advice, which I think is really powerful, which I think will work better in leading towards income producing um, careers on the side. And that is set a limited amount of time that you're going to provide that service definitely for that person for free. Set an amount, even anything that you can agree upon between the two of you that it actually might be worth more than free. You know, So you could say like, I'm going to start teaching you guitar lessons for free. And I think this is worth $30 an hour or $60 an hour or $100 or $150 an hour, whatever. Whatever it is, you agree to that kind of upfront, but that you're, you're like, I think it'll be that, worth that much. But really, I'm also like testing this out. I've never done it before. Maybe I'm not good at it. Maybe you won't like it. And say, so let's do it for a month. Let's do it for two months, three months, probably no longer than three months for free and say, at the end of those three months, can you do one thing for me in exchange for the fact that we did it for free? And that would be ask for a testimonial for how I did. Um, and if, you don't, if I didn't do that, great, then you, know, you could give me some feedback on how I can do better. And then potentially two referrals to clients who I might then approach to actually have them pay at that probably that amount that you talked about originally that it might be worth.
0: And then that way you're at least putting a value on the table and able to test that at the same time while you're advancing the service that you're trying to pursue at the time. So I think that uh, is certainly a strategy to be used. And you don't have somebody also that's just kind of not really taking your time seriously, (laughs) let's say, if they're not willing to put anything on the table.
1: That has happens over and over again with people. And it's actually what a lot of people don't realize. It can be bad for the client, you know that's taking the free thing, right? Because they they don't take it as seriously as they would. Guitar lessons, piano lessons. And, you know, I taught piano lessons for a while. I would I would n- I would never teach p- free piano lessons if unless it was just like one lesson for a friend or something like that anymore. And I don't know that I ever did teach them for free because I just got lined up with like a music school. But yeah, I think that you know it's important for everybody involved when you're taking music lessons to practice. You know to to put the time and energy in so that when you come back the next week, you have something new to learn instead of the same thing to learn over and over again. There's something to be said for having someone pay because it, all of a sudden, it increases their level of commitment, hopefully. And if it doesn't increase their level of commitment, at least you got paid for for the time that they spent wasting their own time.
0: Speaking of commitment, so for somebody listening to this that, let's say they have a day job, they're not so into their day job or they are just looking for extra money, aren't willing to... Spent all their time to whatever their business idea is, or whatever they're trying to pursue. And I know you have a number of different things that you pursue. As far as in music, you have an edutech company as well, and then your coaching. How do you go about? managing your time and pursuing all of those activities.
1: A really powerful thing to do is to start to learn to recognize high leverage activities. There's a book called The One Thing, which I actually haven't read yet, but I'm familiar with the principle. And it's mentioned in several books, like The Four Hour Work Week. Um, kind of brings up this topic. Tim Ferriss is all about stuff like this. A lot of people have gotten pretty good at making lists of things to do. You know, oh, I got to do the laundry. I got to go pick up that thing. I got to fill out that form. Mm -hmm. And then they might put them in their schedule, things like that. But very few people get really good at the topic of picking the higher leverage of the things to do. And the one thing to do is often the thing that could make other things on the list irrelevant or just you don't need to do them all together. I guess I forget there's there's like two wor- wordings that they use to describe what it does to the other things on the list. It makes them irrelevant or easier, probably. Here's a really good example of this. When I was starting my the EduTech business, piano technicians masterclasses that you mentioned, this is online training for piano tuners and technicians. You know, we we bring the best um, of the technicians in the world to anybody else in the world because we're using online live. Interactive masterclasses. And when I was starting that project out, I was pre selling it, which means I was asking people to kind of deposit some money, Kickstarter style, to say that they were interested in doing a course or like a a year long program before actually going through it. That if I got enough, raised enough funds, then I would go through it. If I didn't, I would return people's money. And I was still in the stage where it was hard to get people to pay, right? Like I'm saying, you got to ask people for for money and I was like what is the key ingredient well I was trying to pre-sell the idea of the courses but I hadn't got all of the instructors on board I only had one of the initial instructors who was pretty good but I was saying hey let's do this year long thing uh, you know are, do you think you'd be in and then I thought well maybe I'll go to the instructors and say I've got some money to pay you and we'll do this it was something I had been delaying to do to try to contact these people who were kind of influential in the industry because, yeah, I didn't really know them. It was a new idea. I was kind of afraid they'd just think I was some hack contacting contacting them and didn't want anything to do with it. But I finally w- realized, like, well, that was the big domino that would knocks everything else over. If I can get those people on board, then they've got the name recognition, and this, and the clients are going to sign up for the service. And so one day it was really one day I just started calling those people. I got over my fear. And I think I booked three out of six of those instructors just within a two-hour period. Yeah. And then the whole process got easier from there. So, it took some analysis of all of the things I could have done to grow that project to find that that was the one thing that would that it would take to make the other things easier or irrelevant. Or and I think that Um, That's something that I work on with my coaching clients as we think about things to do within the week. If you can pick the highest leverage things, and this goes back to your point of how do you manage your time, then you actually can get a lot more done in less time.
0: Also, for the outreach that you're mentioning, that's an interesting comparison back to the first story that you're telling where you were coaching somebody up and (laughs) they ended up not only not following through, but then trying taking some of your business and so on. It's nice to compare the other example where there are people out there that are willing to help you and the cliche that what's the worst that they could say? No, (laughs) but nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I think that is a nice way to compare, just making sure you get out there see what's possible, see what kind of help you can get. You got to at least get started and get over your own doubts. Also, I'm noticing another theme with taking something like piano tuning, which is a service. And if somebody just looks at it one dimensionally, they may not be able to get their mind wrapped around scaling that. And actually, again, going back to your example, (laughs) with the first time you tried to scale... The person that was supposed to help you scaling really messed the whole thing up to say the least. But now with using the internet and, um, you know, doing it that way, you're back to the concept of being able to scale this thing that people might think of as just a service. Do you recommend having? a critical thinking session or anything like that for people figuring out their business that they need to be scalable.
1: There's a lot of talk about making making your business scalable and, and having something that's going to be, I don't know, able to grow more easily, you know, passively, things like that. And I think that that's really good stuff, but I will add this to that conversation is that I think there's, I'm seeing a consistent pattern as I coach people, even in my own life that like... It's not all about having free time and making more money and more and more money. Like, it, there is something to be said for, like, if something's working for you and you're enjoying it and your life is going okay, you know, lear, learn to enjoy it and, and go with what works. So, if you enjoy spending time coaching people and, for example, like coaching, is it scalable? Well, there's ways to scale it. You know, you do group coaching, you can hire other people as coaches, things like that. Like if I enjoy coaching people and that's like really fulfilling for me and I just have a handful of clients, like, well, that's how I spend my time. That's great. I could build something else on the side that's that, you know, has passive income or, you know, repeatable income or something like that. So I think when people are getting into stuff, you got to learn lessons. And I think you just need to jump in and do stuff because some people just resist and they overanalyze before they start something. If you are the person that analyzes beforehand and a- that actually works well for you, maybe it's a different story, but a lot of people don't take action. They overanalyze. That having been said, to answer your question, there's ways to think about how the business, whether it's viable or not. That's more what I would spend time on. And that's the thing around like interviewing potential clients that you might work with. Again, Finding ways to actually collect money from them so that you can see that they really need that thing that you're providing. And then, in the scalability, the scalability, that's a really good question. I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually not great, great, great at scaling. I think I'm better than a lot of people would think. The average piano technician might not be thinking of scaling their business, but I'm also not like a billion dollar entrepreneur who scaled a huge thing. So, I think that when it comes to this stuff, I think there's, I think it's really useful to think of ways to get your time flexible. I think that's the most important thing. And then when it comes to scaling, that might fall into place a little bit more easily. Like I'm coaching people who spend, they've started a business and they spend like every, every, every minute on it. And they're just kind of running around, putting out fires and there's no time to like plan. So I would say whatever you're doing, Take time to like have a coaching session with someone once a week for an hour. If you don't have time for that, then you need that. It's kind of like the meditation thing. Or take time once a week to write in a notebook for an hour or two, planning your next stages of how to scale and how to bring things up. And again, if you don't have time for that, you need that time and you need to make that time. And I think that if you can follow just a simple rule like that, just to set time aside that is not about putting out the fires and being reactive and more about being proactive and planning for the future, that that other stuff, the scalability, the passive income, all that stuff, I think it will fall into place.
0: I imagine part of that task as well is figuring out if the things that are taking somebody away from the important tasks are excuses that have been kind of made up in their head, or if they really are things that need to be prioritized and figured out what's going to be more important than the other. Probably a little bit of both. I would assume once you go through the exercise, when it turns out that maybe something that you're doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, um, either can be outsourced, depending on what it is, um, or just really not needed all together. So you mentioned the skill essentially of taking on something new and getting into a new market. And presumably just like any skill, the more you do it, uh, the easier I'm sure it gets, which you've even demonstrated with the different pursuits that you've undertaken. How does that translate into whatever industry or career path uh, your clients head into as you start to coach them?
1: Yeah, this is kind of cool, actually. At this point in my life, I've seen patterns um, within different industries, be it like the scientific community or the music community or the business community. There's very consistent patterns. And I think it helps if you have someone who's either been through the system that you're getting into or someone who's been through systems and know how they work like me, right? And I'll just call out a few patterns here um, that people can look out for that actually sometimes some of them make them make it seem like you're on the wrong path and actually you're on the right path. So one thing, if you're starting to encounter vocabulary that not only doesn't make sense to you, but it almost grates you the wrong way, then it's probably the exact vocabulary that you need to learn and start using in order to get into the field that you're getting into. So like uh, a good example with me is once I started to study you know, hardcore started business and marketing a little bit more than I had. I had already had a business and it was doing well. But like, I started to get into like, who are marketers and what do they talk about? And, 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 you know, salespeople and stuff. People started talking about leads, funnels and lead magnets. And that stuff made me want to vomit at that point. <laughs> it just all sounded a little bit too, I know, it just so- sounded salesy, you know, and it just sounded kind of like dirty words and things like that. But, but the more I got into that community, I just, I realized, well, how else are you going to communicate to somebody what's what you're doing? This is what it is. When you could set up a website that has a piece of content that somebody might be valuable to somebody and they're going to download it and read it. And in exchange for doing that, they get your email list. Like I just said all that in a sentence, but really it's a It's a lead magnet. I could just say lead magnet, and it's a very simple way to say it. That's business. And I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with business and and sales terms. So I'll take it to a completely other field, which would be science. When I wanted to study neuroscience, I started visiting the University of Chicago, and I would go to their weekly neuroscience seminars. And I would sit there with a notebook, and I would write down... I would try to take notes on stuff that I literally had no idea what they were talking about. I don't know cell death programs and g-protein coupled receptors, axons and dendrites and all sorts of terminology. I really had no idea what they're talking about. At at the same time, I heard people talking and literally there was a voice inside me that said, you know, these people might just be making all this stuff up to look smart. I really don't know what's going on. Like, I'm going to put faith in the fact if I keep writing this stuff down, I'll get somewhere and I'll feel like they're actually talking about real stuff. Right now, it just sounds like making up big words that you sound cool. And, you know, sure enough, it was two years later, I finally got into a PhD program and started to take a college level nurse or actually a PhD level neuroscience course where we had a textbook and I had a teacher to guide me through it, you know, and I did great and I learned the lessons and I did well on the tests. And I took out that old notebook that I had been taking notes in back at the University of Chicago for those lectures that they had weekly. And I looked at the notes and I was like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Which is crazy because it was written by someone who had no idea that it made sense, you know. So that's just another example that when you get into something new, if something just really, really doesn't make sense to you or rubs you the wrong way, it's probably the thing that you actually need to focus on.
0: And I think this probably segues into something you and I were emailing back and forth Prior to our show here around the four pillars of growth and achievement, which it sounds like is something you structure your clients around. Can you walk us through that concept? And is that a similar mindset of how to take on something new? Yeah, that's great. That's a great way to put it. And that's a good segue. So, um, these are
1: things that I've actually seen. Uh, what I noticed was they were coming up. In other contexts, uh, maybe someone who had a course and they would bring something up similar um, or I'd read another book and it, it would it would keep coming up. And so there's actually this this I have seen this pattern, even other people present it in different contexts. But when I kept seeing it, I was like, oh, this is why I was able to make progress in the things I was doing. I did not necessarily do this stuff explicitly, but I did do it. Um, implicitly. I, I was focusing on these things, That what it allowed me to, to move forward. And the four things are the highs, the lows, the wins, and the lessons learned. And you can take these four, just these four simple things, and you can apply them to anything that you're trying to uh, approach, be it big or small especially if it's something that you're having like some anxiety or struggle with this really helps because what it allows you to do is get in a mindset of progress as opposed to kind of like giving up or like too frustrated so so highs is is the things that make you feel good about what's been going on or what's going on at the moment a good example of this is you know we're dealing with the quarantine right and it can be a very frustrating time. People can feel down. They can feel de- depressed, but there probably actually are moments where they're feeling good. But when we're feeling bad, we forget about them. So I would say for me, uh, there's moments when I'm feeling good when I'm hanging out with my son. You know, we're just spending some time together that we probably wouldn't actually normally do, right? Because I'd be working or I'd I have to do it. Now that's sort of frustrating, but actually kind of nice. It feels good. So I would note something like that. And that helped me get through this time both as a as a way of reflecting that something good happened today and there's something good about it, but also, and this is very important for the coaching and the moving forward, is when you recognize what works well for you, you can start to add more of that to your process and to your path. So now I can say, oh well, first of all, why don't I factor in that time um, at the appropriate time where I can really enjoy it and also like appreciate it in the moment. Like really Enjoy that for what it is when I'm there. Like enjoy that time with my son. So the next thing is so that was highs, and the next thing is is lows. Now you go through and you find things that are bringing you down. and this is like an emotional thing, like what what things don't feel good in your life. And I tend to ask people to do a little bit less of these because when we're working on something new, we tend to do more of them. So try to do more of the highs and and less of the less of the lows, but do do the lows. And, and we'll learn why in a minute. So, the lows are, again, things that aren't making you feel good. So, like, for example, lately, oh gosh, I mean, my sleep schedule has been off, right, because of the quarantine. I might notice that that actually leads, like, when I don't get enough sleep or, I don't know, if I eat something that doesn't sit well with me that I know I shouldn't be eating. Sometimes I get kind of angry after it, get like like an emotional reaction. So, then if I'm taking note of that. Instead of just going, hmm, why did I feel bad? I go, oh, well, you know what? The sleep thing is really the thing that is bringing this negativity to me. So now I'll be more intentional about waking up earlier so that then I go to bed earlier and I can get like a more solid sleep as opposed to kind of a a delayed late night sleep, things like that. And so, you can apply this, doesn't have to be to like your life, it could be to a specific action that you've taken. Like, I use sales calls often. So, if I called someone, I have a sale call and they reject me and they said no, like, okay, that felt bad. But what were the... So, I know the lows about it. And then I can take those lows and try to apply something better for the next time. So, if the low was they told me that they were that they were strapped for time and how could I call them during this like really busy time? Then hey, maybe on the next call, then I'll take that and I'll say, I want to avoid that potential low and I'll cut them off before they even start. Hey, I know you're really busy and I know your time is really valuable just to see if that works. And it's, it's an experimental approach. Sometimes things don't work, but you keep trying new things, you're bound to optimize. And that's what this whole process is about. If you use it, you are... You are almost guaranteed to get better at the process um, that you're doing. So that was highs and lows, and and then there's wins. So wins is the things that you've accomplished. Like wins here now during quarantine, I, I have fallen back on a lot of things. You know, I've had podcast episode cancellations. You know, I've uh, had less time to do the things that. That some projects that I've been working on, but some other things that have happened, is I've organized some online events that I never would have organized if actually this whole quarantine thing wasn't happening because they're like very specific, and I'm sort of taking advantage of an opportunity. So I can go, "Hey, look, some things have went well. I have accomplished some things, and the important thing about this is that we often forget what we've accomplished, and that contributes to our feeling of of disappointment and that feeling of wanting to give up. So we tend to look for the gap between where we want to go and where we are in the present. And we forget to look back at what we've accomplished in the past. When you look back at what you've accomplished in the past, it actually helps give you the energy to move forward towards the gap between where you are and where you want to go.
0: And I would also second what you're saying that uh, it helps give you confidence and also that when you're in the middle of something that seems very hard to accomplish, if you look back to see that you went through the process before, it, it realizes that there is light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Exactly. And and also just, I like to highlight that wins are different than highs. And that's just because like, I don't know, a really good example of why we call them out separately is wins could be something that you achieved and you might actually find out that after you achieved it, you didn't feel that great. Right. Sometimes like we work really hard to get something. We go, oh, like, I don't even know if I wanted that. And that's important to note. So you could say, oh, OK, so maybe I'll restructure where I'm actually moving, what direction I'm moving towards based on that feedback. I'll call this out right now because I think it's very important for people. People may be still at a place of quarantine or dealing, struggling with recovering from something difficult. I've noticed over, over again with clients and everybody around me that this time right now is a time where people need to expect less of themselves and other people. And I think that goes back to talking about wins. So if your wins are small, that's okay. But if you, can, but if you, if you don't recognize them, you're just going to sink deeper into something that doesn't feel good. So if you made the bed this morning and that was a win, then make note of it and feel good about it. Okay. So the last thing is lessons learned. And this one is probably the least applied in many people's lives. And that's kind of why people keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And they get stuck in a rut. Lessons learned come from literally things that you learned. Oh, maybe I took a class and I learned something or even better. I learned from a mistake that I made. And this is really where people get stuck is that they they recognize their mistakes and they think that that is the key. Oh, just just recognize that I had a mistake and that's the key. It's just a human it's just a it's just a symptom of being human. It doesn't have to do with you know, people being bad people or not good at things. It's just simply of being human. We look at the mistake, but we forget to look at the lesson that we could learn from that mistake. And again, that could go back to the sales call situation, right? You called somebody, they they were really angry, and they said, like, yeah, this is a bad time. Please don't call me. And then you can just take lessons from that. Like... and. And you, you don't know what the ultimate lesson is. But if you pick a lesson and you keep picking lessons, you will learn the right lesson. So, again, with that particular example, maybe it's not to do calls. You know, maybe I learned that I should try emails, right? Or that I should try connecting with people who are, I have a personal connection, like a friend of a friend, right? Or maybe I should call really early in the morning when people don't have as many meetings. You don't always know what the exact lesson you need to learn to get where you want to go. But if you take a minute to recognize a lesson and then take action to change your course based on that lesson, then again, you're bound to get better at whatever you're doing.
0: I wonder also for the lessons learned, emphasis on, yes, make the mistakes, but try not to make the exact same mistake twice. If you find that the lesson learned is repeating itself, then maybe there's something wrong with your mitigation strategy after you reflect on it if you do take
1: time to reflect on lessons you learned, you probably won't learn the same lesson over and over again. This is how you get past that like making the same mistake over and over again. It's just by writing it down. Taking a minute to write it down or reflect on it with like a, an accountability partner or a coach or
0: something like that. That same strategy could apply to somebody's personal life, if you're trying to build healthy habits or do more things with your family, whatever it happens to be, you could probably use a very similar reflection strategy in other areas of your life.
1: Absolutely anything. You could apply this to absolutely anything. And again, it is guaranteed to optimize what you are doing. The only thing I will add additionally is it works really well if you're doing something on a regular basis, weekly or daily, so that you can you can like slowly but surely modify something that has like a, a structure underneath it, like practicing like music or something. And I practice music every day and I note these things at the end of each day and I'm going to sort of do the same practice tomorrow. But because it, it's mostly the same tomorrow and I'm going to tweak a few things, it's going to exponentially get
0: better as I tweak things every day. Yeah, and it all fits together that when you look back, month over month as opposed to day over day when it feels like you're not getting anywhere. You'll say, oh, wow, yeah, I've really (laughs) progressed a lot more than I realized when I'm just thinking this is really hard from one day to the next.
1: This is actually huge. It came up in a coaching call a few days ago. Um, Again, really, really applicable to quarantine. You know, people are facing huge existential issues in their life, you know, because they're just having to sit with themselves or their family. (laughs) So, asking themselves these questions like, Oh, man, like what am I doing in my job, in my life? Man, I just work all day and I don't get anything done and da, da, da. It's easy to kind of be self-critical about, about where you're at, where you're going. And really, really strong piece of insight came up in this call. And it's that we look at achievements of other people and we compare ourselves to those things. And then in our own lives, if we're if we're an achiever, we expect to like achieve something great every day darn day, if that makes sense. It's like, oh, if I'm an achiever, then I would be like flying to the moon and making a million dollars and like doing all these things every day of my life, right? But the truth is that people who do something great, the reason it looks great and so effortless and so wonderful is because it's something that resulted from like a daily practice that they just did it over and over again you know, like a great dancer, they do a wonderful dance move. It's because they just did that every day over and over again. And it's not that they did that one day. So, one really great thing to remember if you're working on any project is more ask yourself if the actions you're taking today are going to lead to that great achievement, right? As opposed to, did I achieve something great today? Am I taking actions each day that will lead to an achievement? Then, then you are an achiever and you will see that you will, that will lead to achievement. The achievements only happen, you know, they're very short things. Like one week I found out that I, you know, finally, you know, it was the top pot business podcast, right? It's only, it's it's only going to happen. You're going to achieve that one day. Right. And then from that point forward, you're looking to achieve something else.
0: You hear CEOs or other sort of social media people who whatever it happens to be that are, quote, overnight successes. And they'll say, oh, it's amazing how many late nights and amount of work went into that overnight success. (laughs) You know, it's that behind the scenes stuff that you don't see. So, sure, it's easy to compare yourself to even your peers in the work world. Right. Like, oh, I'm in this meeting and all of my peers are giving their updates and wow, they must have it way more together than I do. Well, the fact is everybody is thinking that exact same thing really when it comes down to it.
1: I would just add this and that that it's it's important to look for and find those things that you want because some people do ignore the things that they want and that they want to achieve and they will definitely never get those things. But then just when you see something that you want, like say you want to lose weight, right? You want to get in shape. Don't go, how do I get in shape today? You say... What kind of habits can I start doing today and every day that all of a sudden I will probably notice that I'm in shape three, four, five, six
0: months a year from now? Quick anecdote for that. I actually just finished marathon training about a month ago. And afterwards, yeah, I'm like, man, my waistline hasn't looked like this for a while but i was not really focused on the waistline i was focused on the time that i wanted to achieve and so on and became a secondary goal so and of course anybody that's gone through that kind of training knows that yes it's you got to go out and build on your miles every single day and if you don't you're gonna see your regressions and again when you look month over month it's like wow i really achieved something so um yeah being able to focus on that just do it each day rather than that final end result and the race It's just one day. Exactly. It's part of the journey. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, let's take some time to talk about your podcast, the Run With It podcast. Tell me about where the idea came from. And even though I know the concept of it, describe for folks what the concept of the show is.
1: I'm in a business mastermind group with a friend of mine named Chris. Um, We made friends because I got invited to this group. And it's just a group of people. We talk about our businesses and try to do better at them by meeting every week and helping each other. And he works from home as you do. And he, he was like, you know, man, I've been trying to think of a way to kind of connect with other people a little bit more. You know, I like working from home. I like to try my schedule, but I'm feeling a bit socially isolated. I've been having this idea to put this podcast together. And I said, okay, cool. Let's, let's do it. You want to do it as a team. And so we did it. And the podcast, the idea of the podcast is that we bring, we help bring new business ideas to life by it's by having entrepreneur guests on our show they're usually seven figure plus entrepreneurs and what we ask them to do is just come on and share a business idea that they think would be a good idea for someone to implement and it's usually something they don't have time to implement themselves they're like really busy focusing on other things but it doesn't mean that it's not something that would be a great idea to pursue And then we just spend the episode not only talking about that idea, but literally talking about how that successful entrepreneur, if they were to go tomorrow and try to start this, what are the actual action steps they would take to get it started? And then... The extension of that is that the listeners of the podcast then are actually encouraged, right, to steal this business idea. You know, we talk about stealing business ideas. It's like, yeah, go ahead, take this idea and run with it. And here's how you you can get started. And even more so... If you get anywhere, contact us, the the host of the show, and we'll take a look at what you've done. And if it's pretty cool, we'll connect you with our guest. And, you know, some of our guests are like they've made $100,000 a day or, you know, they've sold a business for $170 million. We'll connect you with that guest on our show for a mentorship session, you know, and who knows, maybe you even develop some type of a business relationship from there. So that's the concept of the show. It's kind of like Shark Tank. In reverse right so the the
0: the sharks are pitching you on what their cool idea is that you should follow through on yeah which almost feels like the way it should be right <laughs> it's like let the expert be the uh one that's in the hot seat maybe more than the person that's pitching it
1: yeah and i, I watch shark tank a little bit but shows like that kind of i don't know they kind of get to me because it makes it makes entrepreneurship into this i don't know it just feels like this really competitive stressful game you know whereas um I don't know. There's a lot of fun in in entrepreneurship, and and I think you can you can gain a lot by by actually developing synergies. You know, with people that you might see as competitors, for example, um, as opposed to having this kind of cutthroat Shark Tank attitude. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> well, a- have you had any uh, game show winners, <laughs> if you will, um, for what you guys have been doing so far? Have you had folks that have taken these ideas and ultimately? been able to establish their own business or side gig
1: yeah so uh the the one that i would bring up right now um is uh, it's called dr lingo and we had a a, first we started out with this guest on the show named shu han he you know overachiever kind of guy you know ran ultra marathons and is a doctor and also an entrepreneur and all this stuff and he's still super young. Um, and he came on and he's, he started several businesses and he said, I've been trying to get this thing started called Dr. Lingo. And I I don't know how much this will interest you. I know you're somehow you're in healthcare in some way, right? You work with insurance.
0: Yeah, correct. So, Mm
1: -hmm. so basically the idea is a doctor has a certain lingo that they use when they're evaluating a patient, but the patient would never understand what they say. And so, you know, maybe they give you some like Some like pamphlets that describe something, but you can't really take exactly what they've said about your case and translate it into English directly. There's just not time to do that, and so that's that's Shuhan's idea. Doctor Lingo, it's a service. It's it's kind of like Google Translate for Doctor Lingo. And so when the doctor says something that doesn't make sense, there's a way of putting it so that. A patient could easily understand what they're talking about, and um, and yeah. So the way that the way that went down is we recorded that episode, and a few months later, actually, what happened was Shuhan connected with a medical student. I think I've, we actually talked about it in the episode, so I'm sorry I forget exactly how, but I think it was through a conference or some sort of a medical community thing, and and Shuhan learned that this this fellow actually. Uh, his name's Joshua Calvino, was interested in entrepreneurship, but he hadn't really gotten into it. And um, they talked a little bit and basically Shuhan said, hey, I think you might be interested in working on this de- idea, Dr. Lingo. And why don't you go listen to this podcast episode, get back to me. And if you think this is something you're into, then we can get started. And yeah, basically since then, they've been partners. And and again, you know, it's like, it's not like Shark Tank at all, you know, um, sorry, it's it's not like Shark Tank at all. You know, uh, Shuhan's like a really great guy, really nice, friendly guy, and just a great mentor for Josh. And um, not only as an entrepreneur, but as a you know as a doctor to a medical student who's trying to make his way in the world and and do things efficiently. Um, so there's all sorts of collateral benefits to this new mentorship relationship um, that has occurred, and the Doctor Lingo project is um, continuing to expand, and uh, and and also relevant to this. Um, to sort of the conversation or these folks is uh, Shuhan started a project, um, which which Josh is not part of, called GetUSPPE.org, um, which has been a really great project to help out um, during the COVID crisis to get the personal protective equipment, you know, masks and gloves that, um, that the
0: doctors need. That relationship that you're describing, again, even going back to your story, sounds like there are parallels to... When you're first trying to get up and running and reaching out to folks that could be part of your project to make it uh, potentially be more viable, a similar concept with the format that you're putting together with the podcast. And and I can definitely relate to the healthcare lingo. One of the first things I say to any new hire that comes in is there's acronyms everywhere, but in healthcare, it is like so heavy (laughs) in acronyms that stop me at any point if I just rattle one off because I've forgotten that somebody's still learning the industry so it certainly seems like uh, a good idea and something that that um, will make sense for somebody to be able to to bring to market wherever they're at in the stage of it and also going back to somebody not being afraid of learning something new being able to translate that kind of um, jargon is certainly <laughs> could help other people from not being deterred from taking a hand in their own health and making sure they understand what's being communicated to them or what at least they're trying to communicate to them. So very cool.
1: Yeah, I'll go back just real quickly because um, it might be useful to p- put a pin on this thing of um, of reaching out to people. Um, I will tell you this and if if anybody listening right now is at all interested in our project, you would be surprised at how little activity there is in reaching out to these people who i said have made you know sold a company for 170 million dollars for example a software company and it's not that hard to get in touch with people you know they're people people are interested in mentoring and they're open um you you know you got to do a little work and prove yourself that you're that you're that you're viable to work on something, but there's a lot of opportunity out there. People pass up because they just don't feel like they're good enough or it's for them. And so just, yeah, just remember that that is a a huge uh, advantage. If you recognize that just kind of reaching out to people. And the, the other thing I'll mention, this comes from a book called the magic of thinking big and also elsewhere. There's this idea that if you work in the mailroom at a corporation and you tell the people in the mailroom, your crazy idea, They're going to tell you you're crazy. But if you ever got the chance to tell the CEO your crazy idea, even though you're the person in the mailroom, they'll probably listen to it because they've got a bigger way of thinking and they're interested in big ideas. So keep that in mind when you're thinking of, of taking on bigger things and reaching out to bigger people. It may be easier than you think.
0: Excellent. Well, Ethan, before I let you go, do you want to give folks your contact information where they can find you on social media and maybe any other announcements that you'd like folks to know about?
1: Yeah, sure. So I would just encourage people to go to uh, www.runwithit.fm and they can review the podcast there, listen to the episodes that have come out. Uh, You can also check me out for any coaching if you're interested in that. I'm building a site called Ethanjanny.com. uh spelling my name is sometimes difficult for people i'll spell it out e-a-t-h-a-n-j-a-n-n-e-y dot com Um, yeah and you can download up four pillars of of um of success and achievement as we talked about today i've got some documents there if you want to grab that and learn some more about it and i would say those are probably the two primary things that you
0: can find out more Perfect. And of course, I will uh, put all that information in the show notes once this episode is published. Again, Ethan, I really appreciate you taking some time to join us today. And we will be in touch. Stay safe and take care. Okay, I will. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be notified of future weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button. If you'd like to help us even further, visit SuburbanFolk.com and you'll find a donate button where all the money goes back into the show for you. Thanks for listening. Suburban Folk is part of the Pod All the Time podcasting network with 12 other great podcasts. Head over to SuburbanFolk.com for links to their shows. We're also part of the Ring Media Network. Go to RingMedia.com to learn more. That's R-R-I-N-G Media.com.